Hello. We're pleased you've been able to tune in to Finding Truth Matters with Dr Andrew Corbett. Welcome to the program. What thick darkness. I mean, good grief. When we read the Gospels, we read of a very religious people. We read of the high priests and the scribes and the Pharisees, very, very religious. But the prophets said it was dark because you can be religious and not know God. As our eyes are affected by the aging process, we discover that if you want to see something clearly, it's a good idea to shine some good light on it. Light cuts through darkness and reveals detail. The Old Testament prophets described the coming of the Messiah as the dawning of a great light for exactly the same reasons. Christ was the light of the world who cut through darkness and revealed truth. Tonight, we join Dr. Corbett as he looks at this true light. As we open God's Word, we're going to pray in a moment. And I hope that God's Word will do what God's Word does in your hearts. The ancients, that is the Christians of some of the earliest times, were largely Jewish. And so they came out of a Jewish context. And coming out of a Jewish context where they were used to having feasts. In fact, they had seven feasts that would commemorate the the redemptive moments of God. And when these early Christians became Christians, they obviously saw the fulfillment in those feasts. The Feast of Passover, for example, the Feast of Pentecost and all these feasts that represented what Christ was coming to do and did do. And when it came to Christmas, they developed a a memorial. There's a word for that, anamesis, which means an annual reminder of something that you need to be reminded of annually. And even on the weekend, I, I, or over the last couple of days, I heard someone on uh, one of the channels, SBS or ABC or something, saying, oh, the, the, the Christians took a, uh, an early pagan festival and, and Christianised it, which is just not true. There is no evidence that from the earliest times people were celebrating the, the, uh, the depth of winter. There's just no, there's no support for that at all. But what there is support for is that the early Christians said we need to remember some of the major themes of Christianity, including the incarnation. Incarnation, um, you, you may, let's see, if we, we use um, incarnate means to become flesh. Carnivorous, flesh. Carn- so when Christ became flesh, we call that the incarnation. And so the, the Jews and the early Christians believed that God did things on certain dates, certain, like, moments in a month and that uh, the 25th was often, a, was often a date when God did things. They believed that the, the world was created on the 25th of a month. Now why they believe that I'm not quite sure except that that was the day that was also the date that was commemorated as the first Passover. And so the early Christians believed that Gabriel would have, came, would have come to Mary and announced to her, it's called the Annunciation, to her that she was going to conceive and bear a child and that would have happened on the 25th of that month, March, which happened to be right at Passover. And they calculated nine months after that would have been, therefore, the birth of Christ, which, if you do your maths, that's the 25th of December. So whether Christ was born then or not, well, we don't know, but it's not as far-fetched as people are making out. That's all I'm saying about that. When Gabriel, and I've, I, I'm, 
I have scoured the internet looking for a picture of Gabriel, and apparently no one's ever taken a photo of him. But some of the photos have him depicted almost as a, as a, as a woman, very feminine, and uh, looking very wimpy. But the, the depictions of Gabriel in the Bible are nothing of the sort. In fact, those who, of the two encounters, the three encounters of people encountering Gabriel, one being Daniel, the other one being Zechariah, and the other one being Mary, that, that are recorded, it struck deep awe in them to the point where, as we've, we've noted in our Christmas service, that Daniel and Zechariah both were, were struck with great fear and uh, Daniel fell to the ground in fear. And Gabriel came and, and lifted him up. And I find that incredible just to, to realise how much we do not know about the interaction between the supernatural realm and our realm. And then we see Zechariah, who we looked at yesterday in our Christmas Day service. Gabriel said to him, don't be afraid. Now, why would he have been afraid? Look, so as I scoured the internet, I couldn't find anything that, that even came close to representing what Gabriel would have looked like. But this is the closest that I've got. And what you can't see is he's, you know, there's, there's light piercing through, which God said, the word, word of God says that angels are ministers of light. So we're going to have a look at this in a moment, light. But at least in this depiction... He comes down as a warrior. You can't quite see it there, as a warrior. And that is actually what he was. And he's depicted as having a sword in the book of Revelation. He's depicted as being a warrior who does combat. So no wonder they were a little bit taken back when they saw him. But he had to get through with these redemptive messages to each of these people. And so he is the one that God chose to deliver these messages. As we reflect on the Christmas message, as we looked at yesterday in the Gospel of Luke, we see that Gabriel came to Zechariah, then some six months later he appeared to Mary, and Mary was also struck by his presence. And the angel Gabriel said to her, you will conceive a child without knowing a man, which is a very nice way of putting it. And so we have Mary then being told this, because she asks a question, how can this be? Now yesterday we saw Zechariah asked the question, but he asked it with a different tone, a tone of doubt. Mary's was a tone of curiosity. And here's what we see, and I mentioned yesterday that Luke all through his gospel describes people having moments of doubt. But then Dr. Luke tells us that they were given reasons not to doubt so Mary asked the question how can this be and you remember the answer the angel Gabriel said to her your relative Elizabeth who is aged is six months pregnant she's with child and then Gabriel goes so what does Mary do she goes straight to Elizabeth which would have been quite a journey because Elizabeth we know was in Nazareth north of Israel so we have Nazareth up here we come down through Samaria although Jews didn't they actually went around Samaria then you come into Judea you come to the near the south of Judea you've got Jerusalem and that's roundabout in the hills somewhere around there is where 
uh, Zechariah and Elizabeth would have been. So it was, would have been quite a trek for her to get there. But when she got there, you know the story. The story was as soon as she walked in, Elizabeth felt something. She felt the baby. She Remember the, the word she used? Not kick, leap. Does anyone remember being in the womb of their, of their mother and leaping? I don't know how a baby does that, but that's how she described it. She described that the baby leapt within her womb the moment Mary walked in. And then she also says this, that when that happened, God put into her heart what had happened to Mary. Mary hadn't even got to telling her yet. And that's when Elizabeth says, how is it that the mother of my Lord is here to visit me? Now that would have been a great assurance to Mary, right? Because Mary's looking at this six-month pregnant relative of hers who would have been uh, in her 70s perhaps, well, at least in her 70s, and she would have straight away known, what I saw days ago was no optical illusion. It was, no, it was not an hallucination. Now I know. I've actually encountered Gabriel because here's a woman who's also encountered Gabriel. Now I find this remarkable. I find this remarkable that Luke will tell us that whenever people had doubts, God gave them reasons not to doubt. And can I tell you, God is still the same today. And perhaps there are those who are participating now, perhaps you're watching online, and you may have all kinds of questions about whether Christianity is true or not. Here's my challenge. It begins with a prayer, and the prayer to the God whom you may not even know if he exists might sound something like this God if you're real reveal yourself to me just pray that and see what happens when I was 15 I had an encounter with God and that encounter changed my life and it put me on a whole new trajectory in my life a trajectory where I became absolutely committed to love Jesus a trajectory where I became convinced I was going to serve him for the rest of my life. A trajectory where I was going to do everything I could to find out as much about him as I could. And I am here today to tell you I am absolutely sold out as much as I can be to Christ. I am a believer in the fact that Jesus Christ physically died on the cross, was buried for three Jewish days, which means parts of a day, and that he rose on that third day, physically, he rose from the dead. I would take a bullet for that rather than deny it exactly in the same spirit that the early Christians did as well. Because what they saw they could not deny. What they experienced they could not deny. I want to pick it up, this, this amazing narrative. And, and knowing that the early Christians thought this was so important, this needed to be commemorated every year. They developed what's called advent advent means the appearing and they determined that they would depending on which calendar you use either 12 days before christmas advent would start or 28 days before christmas depending on which tradition of christianity you follow so the the 12 days leading up to christmas were known as advent then christmas day and we have now entered into the 12 days of christmas where we are supposed to feast every day to remember Jesus. Did anyone have any trouble starting that yesterday? <laughs> so, 
So this is what I want to highlight to you that as much as this was a, a, a Jewish tradition carried over into Christianity that we need to remember things every year and for Christians we recognise we need to remember things every week. That's why we meet on Sunday because it is the celebration, the weekly celebration of Jesus rising from the dead. That's Sunday, the day of the resurrection. Jews, Hebrews, not all Hebrews were Jews, but these people valued God as light. They described him as light. They described his activity as light. They would talk of his word as being a light or a lamp unto their feet. That what God did was light. In him there is no darkness. He is the father of lights, James tells us. And so Jews saw light as being integral to God and who he was and what he did. And so I want to look at this moment this moment that we call the incarnation, its announcement, the, the event surrounding it, and see how this was light, the light, not a light, the light, shining in darkness. And so I'm starting in John chapter 1, verse 1. You, if you've got your Bible, you might want to grab it. If you use a highlighter um, and you use your iPhone as your Bible, you probably don't want to draw on the screen because it won't work but if you if you can tap and highlight if you know how to do it in your bible app you may want to just note some of these things here here's what it says in the beginning was the word and the word was with god and the word was god and i'll point out to those perhaps who have who have encountered jehovah's witnesses knocking at their door that there is no in this is you've got to understand a bit about language here there is no indefinite article on that last phrase the word was God ho theos the God Verse, verses 2 and 3 he was in the beginning with God all things were made through him and without him was not anything made that was made isn't this amazing to think that the creator as it describes there the creator of the universe became a single cell human organism can you understand the fragility of what God did the risk that he took in sending his son in him was life note this and the life was the light of men the longing of every Jew the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it there was a man sent from God and this was Zechariah's son Zechariah was told your prayer has been heard and we looked at on Christmas day how you know can you imagine me and Zechariah 40 years of praying for a son and the angel Gabriel appears and says your prayer has been heard what would your response be if Zechariah was an Aussie his response would have been a bit late you could have come 20 years ago would have helped 30 would have been great. 40, when I started praying, it would have been ideal. But he wasn't. He was a Hebrew. And this is describing his son, John, whose name was John. He came as a witness 
To do what? To bear witness about the light. Not a light, the light. Greek word phos. That all might believe through him. He, John, was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. Now, he'd already been born, but he was about to be revealed. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. So here John has set up his gospel. He is writing his account of the life of Christ quite differently to the other gospel writers. I mentioned yesterday that the other gospel writers are what's called synoptic, S-Y-N, optic. They see together, sin together, optic. They see together the same events and describe it in similar ways. But John's not doing that. John is telling us a message. He's telling us something. He's telling us something with signs and symbols that we need to take note of. The longing of the Hebrew people was for God's light. In fact, they began to associate the coming of the Messiah as the coming of God's light into the world. We read that in the prophets. This is how they put it. And each of the synoptic gospels quote this verse in describing the coming of Christ. The people who walked in darkness. This is from Isaiah 9 verse 2. And you know Isaiah 9 verse 7 where it talks about the coming of the Christ, the Christmas child. So the verses just before that say this. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwell in the land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. So we read that in Matthew chapter 4, verse 16. The people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light, where he quotes that. And those dwelling in the region of, and shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. So he adds to what Isaiah has written here. It's not just that light appeared, it's that light appeared at a really, really dark time. The shadow of death was on the land. The shadow of death was over people. All things looked bleak and hopeless. And then God's light shone forward. Isaiah later on says it this way. Isaiah chapter 60 describes the coming of the Messiah like this. Arise, shine, for your light has come and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. Verse 2. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth and thick darkness the peoples, but the Lord will arise upon you and his glory will be seen upon you. What thick darkness? I mean, good grief. When we read the Gospels, we read of a very religious people. We read of the high priests and the scribes and the Pharisees, very, very religious. But the prophets said it was dark. Because you can be religious and not know God. You can be religious and not actually be walking in the light. You can look like you're very prim and proper, but your heart can be dark. And that's how the prophets described the time in which Jesus came. Verse 3, the result of Christ coming, 
the prophet Isaiah said, and nations shall come to your light and kings to the brightness of your rising and history bears witness that that is indeed what has happened. So even though, and we've read it in the opening verses of the Gospel of John, even though the Jews longed for the light of God, they longed for this light. They had an idea of what it would be like. They had an idea of who the Messiah would be, what he would do. And yet when he appeared, John tells us, he came to his own and his own did not receive him. They rejected him. I wonder how many people say, I don't believe in God because, you know, I would, I guess, if he, if he appeared and stood right in front of me, I would believe in him. Well, the heart, the heart of every person bears witness that if God actually did do that, chances are you still wouldn't believe. Because if your heart is dark and not seeking the light of God, you're unable to see the light. In C.S. Lewis's book, Mere Christianity, he he makes this point. He says, unless you realise you're in the dark, you're not actually looking for light. But when you realise that you're in the dark, you are desperate to find the light. And he's talking about this in spiritual terms that people who think they are religious could be in darkness and not realise their need for God. We read in John chapter 3, and of course John chapter 3 has one of the most famous verses in the Bible, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him would not perish but would have everlasting life. But reading a few verses on, we read this in verse 19. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world. And this is coming out of the mouth of Jesus. And people loved the darkness rather than the light. Because their works were evil. Evil? Really? That's strong language, Jesus. What do you mean, evil? Because the scribes and the Pharisees and the high priests, they were all doing things to win the attention of people, to look impressive, to win the applause, the acclaim of people. We're not created for that. We're created to give our attention to the one who deserves it and to live in his light. Anything other than living that way, it seems like Jesus is describing that as evil in a moment i'm going to invite you to maybe turn your heart toward the light and invite the light of god to shine into your heart so when jesus spoke and i'm calling him the light of the world when jesus the light of the world spoke it was not like the prophets of old the prophets of old spoke like this thus says the lord and they would declare what God was saying you know those words never came out of the mouth of Jesus thus saith the Lord he never said it how did he speak I say to you but you know in effect he's saying exactly the same thing can you hear I say to you you have heard it said but I say to you this guy actually thought he was God the creator of heaven and earth, the one who knew everything, the one who could see 
every person in the uh, movie serialization of the life of Christ, which um, is called The Chosen, there's a couple of scenes there where I think they've captured this essence of Christ where they show Jesus just shortly after he called Simon Peter to come and follow him. And Jesus goes into the home of Simon Peter where uh, in, the, in the serialization of, of this um, event, Simon Peter's wife's name is, is Eden. And Jesus goes in and sees Eden and, and they have a conversation. And Jesus says to her, I see you. And she's busy getting dinner ready and cutting up whatever she's cutting up, the vegetables and things. And she stops and she looks at him and he looks into her soul and he says, Eden, I see you. And I think if we, each of us had an encounter with Christ right now and if we were to look into his face, we would see his eyes looking into our eyes and we would hear him say, I see you. There's a number of times in the Gospels when people had that moment. We think of Nathaniel and Jesus said to him, I saw you sitting under the tree. Now we don't know what he was doing under the tree and maybe for us that means nothing, but it certainly meant something to Nathaniel. And Jesus wasn't anywhere near a tree but he said that to him and Nathaniel's life was changed as a result. I think of the events of Luke chapter 7 where Simon the leper, the Pharisee, but no one knew he was a leper at that time, invited Jesus over to dinner. Jesus comes to the dinner and then a woman comes in whom Dr. Luke describes as a woman, comma, a sinner. And she comes in, you know the story where she begins to weep and weep profusely over the feet of Christ as he's leaning on his elbow, feet back there, and she is weeping over his feet and then pouring perfume over his feet. And Simon the Pharisee, the religious leader, looks at her in disgust. And Jesus then turns to the woman and says, Simon, I have a question for you. <laughs> Did you get that? He turns to the woman and says, Simon, I have a question for you. And he's looking straight at her. And the question was, when I came in, it's custom that you would wash my hands and wash my feet as your guest, and you didn't do that. She's washed my feet with her tears and she's dried my feet with her hair. And then he says this, looking straight at the woman, I tell you, Though your sins are many, you are forgiven. Oh, can you feel the weight just leave the room? Can you feel the weight that would have left her at that point? This is the Jesus we're talking about. And this is how Jesus spoke like no one else. Then again, Jesus spoke to them. This is at the festival of lights when he said this. It's when they lit up all these candles, the festival of lights, and Jesus says this, I am the light of the world. 
Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Who does this guy think he is? But this is how he spoke. I have come into the world as light, so that whoever believes in me, Jesus said, may not remain in darkness. The darkness of loneliness, the darkness of despair, the darkness of sadness and depression. I've come to shed light into that dark place. But the despiser of mankind, known as the prince of darkness, has spiritually blinded people from seeing God's light. This is why I think God has called the church to come together to do something about that. Paul, describing this, he says this, in their case, the God of this world, the prince of darkness, has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. He is the true Imago Dei. He is the one. That if people could just see him, F.W. Boreham said, in the hope he said, I hope my preaching just does one thing and helps people to see Jesus. Because I'm sure, he said, if people see Jesus, they'll turn to him. And I hope people do when I preach as well. Please pray that that happens. But when Jesus, the light of the world, came, anyone in the bondage of darkness only has to turn to him. Only has to turn to him. It was a snowy morning. In the mid-1800s, when a young 13, 12, 13-year-old boy by the name of Charles Haddon Spurgeon, who couldn't get to his normal church, had to step in because of the snowdrift into a, just a local church on his way. And, and the, the preacher that day couldn't make it because of the snow. And, and, and it was just one of the deacons who, who got to preach. He never preached in his life. He opened up the scriptures. He turned to Isaiah about chapter 50. And he just read the verse, Look unto me and be saved. He just read it. He said, that's all you have to do to come out of darkness, to come out of bondage and come into the light and life that God offers. Just look to the Saviour. Just look to him and you can be saved. I hope that becomes our prayer for our city, wherever your city might be. And we read in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 6, knowing that Jews sought light. Greeks sought knowledge and the Romans sought glory, the glory of Rome. And here Paul says you'll find, Jews, the light you're looking for in Jesus. Greeks, you'll find the knowledge you're looking for in Jesus. Romans, you'll find the glory that you're really looking for in Jesus. And he puts it this way, for God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge, of the glory of God. Jew, Greek, Roman. Where? In the face of Jesus Christ. And in the closing book of the Bible, in the second chapter, it describes the face of Jesus Christ as being something that just emanated so much light. John was struck to the ground as well. And so we read in Acts chapter 26, verse 18, this is my prayer for my city. This is the prayer that I pray for people 
This is the prayer that someone was praying for the Apostle Paul. And when he describes his mission, he puts it into the words of this prayer to open their eyes. This is what Paul said God had called him to do so that they may turn from what? Excuse me, let's try that again. Thank you, Jeanette, but let's see if everyone else can get it. They turn from what? Darkness to light and from the power of Satan, the prince of darkness, to God that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. In other words, look to Jesus and you will come into the light of God and be set free from the bondage of darkness. Ephesians chapter 5 verse 8 describes us, the children of God, as children of light. It says here, For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light. Christ now calls us, his followers, to reflect his light. You ever seen the moon shining brightly? Anyone? It doesn't, does it? It reflects brightly. And in this... Amen. And in the same way, we are to shine by reflecting the light of Christ in the same way. Sometimes all we have to do is just love Christ and get on with our day and let others see the difference. Jesus put it this way. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. And that's, that's what Christ calls us to do now, to reflect his light. To reflect his light. Would you please stand? We're going to close with worship. Then I'm going to come back and close in prayer and invite you to experience the light of God. Amen. Father, you have been faithful. You have been so, so good to us. Lord, we worship you. Father, I pray now for those perhaps who feel like their life is in darkness. Things just feel bleak. Maybe even a touch of despair. That in this moment, in this moment, you can turn to the light. 
You can turn to the light and be set free from that bondage. You can turn to the light and experience a new life. You can turn to the light and experience forgiveness of sin, a cleansing and a fresh start. May God, the Father of lights, help each of us to shine the light of His love into the darkness this week. And if you do feel like you are a million miles away from God, let me tell you, you are not. The truth of it is, you are just one prayer away. A prayer that says, Jesus, save me. Come into my life and help me to live for you. You pray a prayer like that, guarantee from this point on, things will begin to change. And now I pray that we, your people, the children of light, may know the love of God the Father, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, and the fellowship with the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, Amen. As we've heard tonight, the despiser of mankind, the Prince of Darkness, has spiritually blinded people from seeing God's light. But anyone can turn to him. More from Dr. Corbett next week. Dr. Corbett is pastor of Lagana Christian Church and president of ICI Theological College Australia. Thank you for joining us. We look forward to meeting with you again at the same time next week for another Finding Truth Matters.